Well, today we continue our series, Looking Back to Move Forward. Last week, Pastor Brian kicked off this series, and he reminded us that there is an incredible word from the book of Hebrews that basically runs down the list of the hall of faith. And the writer of Hebrews tells us, for example, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. Or by faith, Noah built the ark when there was a drought. By faith, Abraham left his father's household and followed God even when he didn't know where he was going. By faith, Moses led the people out of Egypt. By faith, the people walked through the Red Sea on dry land. And then the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. In other words, we look back to learn from these giants in our faith so that so that we are able to be encouraged, so that we're able to be inspired to run the race that the Lord has marked out for us. Now, I love this image. A friend of mine calls the, 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 the heroes of the faith in Hebrews balcony people. They're the people that are watching us run the race of faith. That's the image here. And that they're cheering us on as we seek to be faithful to Jesus. We're encouraged to live deeply faithful lives. You know, one unique form of comedy is the impersonator or impressionist. Some of you from an older generation may remember Rich Little. He can impersonate a wide range of famous people from Richard Nixon to Johnny Carson to Jimmy Stewart. I used to love to tune in to Johnny Carson when Rich Little was on here because it's just entertaining to hear how he could do that. Then there are some who, who are connect with Dana Carvey as uh, he imitates uh, various people including the the late President George H.W. Bush, or even uh, Tina Fey when she uh, was able to incredibly imitate uh, the former vice president, presidential candidate Tina Fey. You may have heard the old saying, imitation is the highest form of flattery. Well, maybe not when it comes to comedians, but in reality, imitating someone who lives a noteworthy life is a really good thing to do. Even better when we imitate God. Today, we consider the life of someone who considered himself an imitator of God, and that was Francis of Assisi, also simply known to most as St. Francis. St. Francis was known for his austere way of life. He was known for being a champion for the care of creation, and to this day, churches will hold a blessing of the animals in October when the life of Francis is celebrated in the Catholic Church. One bit of trivia, by the way, that uh, you may find interesting, he is credited with organizing the first live nativity, which is classic of St. Francis. And of course, he was the founder of the Franciscan order. But what was most profound about his life was his desire to imitate the life of Jesus in every possible way. He took a vow of poverty, and a life of service to God and others. And it was said he was consumed with such a deep, deep love for Jesus that he believed when you loved Jesus that it meant you did everything you could 
to take on the pattern of the Lord's living in every way. One writer summarized his life of imitation as a pattern of three callings. And I'm telling you, these three callings are one, uh, three ones that we would do very, very well to take into the center of our being and seek to live these out. Listen to these three callings here. Call to serve rather than to climb. Call to build Christ's kingdom rather than one's own. Call to community rather than isolation. Let me, let me just mention those three again. Call to serve rather than to climb. Call to build Christ's kingdom rather than your own. Call to community rather than isolation. Now that is an incredible example of the faith worth imitating. Well, the idea of imitating God didn't originate with Francis. St. Paul encouraged the Ephesians and all disciples, including us, to do the same. And this is captured clearly in our text today. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. That will be our text for today. Let me just set it up uh, briefly before I read it. Ephesians chapter 4 is a powerful, powerful call to unity in the church and to spiritual maturity. It is a call to leave the former way of living before Christ and to embrace the way of Christ and to pursue a life worthy of the calling of Jesus and the salvation that we have been giving. For example, Paul writes in chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, just before our text today, he writes this You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its sinful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And now we get to our text for today in, in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, the Word of God for the people of God. Here's what I want to do with this passage this morning. I want us to look at, in, in a little more detail, the pattern to follow. And then I want us to take a look at the purpose of Christian ethics and then the power to live Christianly. The power to follow, the purpose of Christian ethics, and then the power to live Christianly. The pattern to follow. Have you ever seen those cartoons that has a character with an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other competing for someone's attention? 
Has your life ever felt that way? You're torn between the right way and the wrong way? Well, in this passage, what Paul does is he, he just lines out wrong behavior and tells us the right corresponding behavior. For each right way, there's a corresponding wrong way to live. And so if we take a look at, at the list, I've sort of summarized it for us. There's the wrong way. There's lying and there's anger and there's, uh, there's dealing with uh, your uh, emotions. There's stealing. There's rage, brawling, slander, and hatred. I mean, I'm wondering what they were doing. You know, rage, slander, brawler, brawling, like a barroom brawl right there in the church. I don't know. Um, bitterness, unwholesome talk. And then later on in the, in the text, they, Paul lines out in the text after hours, greed and sexual immorality. But on the other corresponding, as opposed to lying, he says be committed to truth-telling. As opposed to anger, he says control your emotions. We'll talk about that a little bit in a moment. Instead of, of stealing from others, no, work so that you can support and help others. Instead, instead of rage and brawling and slander and hatred, live with love and compassionate. Instead of bitterness, be forgiveness. Instead of unwholesome talk, be supportive and helpful. Often uh, when people read that passage and they read unwholesome talk, they, they immediately think of, of coarse language, which, which certainly should not have. But unwholesome talk in the context of the unity of the church is also gossiping. It's also uh, saying something bad about somebody. It, it, is, it is not forgiving. It, it is, it is uh, uh, pushing your own agenda and so forth. You know, so you know, if, we, we, if we're not careful in the life of the church, somebody can say, well, I've, I've never cussed a day in my life, but then you start running somebody down. That is unwholesome talk. And the, the converse of that is su supportive and helpful talk. Then later we see uh, in the passages that follow greed, and so we see the idea of sacrifice. We see sexual immorality. We see the idea of sexual purity. So Paul gets really clear here about the pattern of living. You don't have to have a long, complicated ethics debate. Here are the behaviors. Here's the pattern in the way of Jesus. And here are the ones that are not. Now, let me offer two comments about these patterns. First, and we have to be careful. First of all, the list is not exhaustive. Paul offers uh, other uh, characteristics of the Christian life in other letters. But the list of behaviors to follow is also not meant to be a legalistic exercise that you check off in sort of a behavior modification project. Rather, the list of Christian ethics serve as a description of the Christian life. You know, in, in Bible study this morning, our Bible study group was talking about how can you, or asking the question, how can you know about the presence of the Holy Spirit? Well, one of the ways you can know about the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is, is, is you see the life of Christ lived out in someone. And someone's life is, is, as Jesus said, it is salt and light in the world around us. Someone's life is a, a fragrant offering to the Lord. Now, that's one of the ways we know the Holy Spirit is at work. It's a description of God at work. It's a description of the Christian life. And the ultimate motive is love for Jesus, which is what we see, interestingly, in the writings of St. Francis. Which, you know, by the way, uh, when, we, when we take a look at a historical figure, 
uh, sometimes what people latch on to is maybe not the even most um, uh, powerful lesson of their life. So, for example, St. Francis is known to many as the, the, uh, just a champion of nature and creation and, and the animals and so forth. But boy, oh boy, you dig deep on his life biography. And his driving, driving motive was this incredible love for Jesus. And that what we see here is that our incredible love for Jesus shapes our behavior. Our love for Jesus shapes our behavior toward God, toward others, and toward even ourselves. Second, an important step in the life of the disciple of Jesus is learning how to control your negative emotions. Let me say that again. An important step that we can glean from this passage that we should not overlook, an important step is learning how to control your negative emotions. Now, hear me clearly here. I'm not talking about the challenging and difficult and painful emotions of sorrow and grief and despair and even the blues or depression. Some of these tender emotions have to be felt. And they have to be worked through. They all do. Under the touch and the guidance and the healing of the Holy Spirit. And if needed, some need the help and the healing of trained counselors and medical professionals. The Lord heals powerfully through these avenues. But the negative emotions I'm talking about here, some of the ones that Paul lists, anger, bitterness, envy, greed, and the like, Often, one of the ways to control these negative emotions is to know their triggers. That's really important. One of the ways to control negative emotions, destructive emotions, is to understand their triggers. I heard someone once say that every Christian needs a strategy, for example, for when you're feeling hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Let me say it again. Or you see the acronym, HALT. You need a strategy for how you interact with others when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Think about how many times you have been unkind because you were simply hungry or tired. I mean, controlling your emotions at times could be as simple as eating a nutritious meal and taking a really good nap. Or how many bad relationships were entered into because someone was feeling lonely. Or how many opportunities to help someone in need were missed because of not taking care of our bodies by working too many hours or a poor diet or not having some sort of exercise routine. When we get this way, we're not able to serve and to bless others and to reach out because we are literally sick and tired. This is not a manager emotions seminar. I'll leave that to the trained counselors, but every follower of Jesus. As we take a look at, 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 at behaviors that are Christ-like and behaviors that are not, every follower of Jesus needs to ask the hard question, am I actively working to submit my negative emotions to the Lordship of Jesus? Am I actively working to submit my negative emotions to the Lordship of Jesus? And I think I would speak for all of us when, when I would say, well, there's always work to do isn't there? Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger 
And he says this not in a literal way. He is saying it, don't let it fester in you. Or it will turn into sinful behavior and the devil will have a field day and a foothold in your life. We could say the same about the other negative emotions. Don't let them fester. Or they will spiritually metastasize into a multitude of sinful behaviors. So to summarize our list, if we wanted to summarize it, be ruthlessly committed to love, truth, and purity. Be committed to love and truth and purity. Well, let's take a look at at the purpose of these ethics. Christian ethics at their core are relational. One of the essential themes not only of Ephesians but of the entire New Testament is the unity of the body of Christ. Ultimately, this text is about your covenant relationship with God and with others in the body of Christ. There's absolutely no way. I mean, it's impossible to have unity in the body of Christ without a deep commitment to living out these behaviors in relationships. I mean, it is easy to see how brawling and rage and hatred and unbridled anger would hinder chummy relationships. I mean, can you imagine brawling with someone in the church one day and then sitting beside them at the potluck the next day? But some are a bit more subtle, aren't they? How about lying and not having a deep commitment to truth-telling? Lies distort reality, and lies usually come in bunches. Often one lie leads to many others. Remember, we are members of the same body. And Paul reminds us of that because it would be just ludicrous to think that one member of our physical body would lie to another. I mean, can you imagine the eye lying to the foot? Can you imagine the eye saying, go ahead, foot. You can walk over there. There's nothing in your way. Go for it. You can do it. And then all of a sudden you go and you start walking that way and you stub your little toe on that piece of furniture. And then when you stub your little toe, it leads to all kinds of of, of bad language. You start cussing or you want to cuss. And then you blame somebody for moving the furniture and putting that way. Then you get angry. And then the eye starts, or the foot starts hating the eye. And then that moment, the little toe is brawling with the eye. Being facetious there, of course. You can't imagine your little toe brawling with your eye. You can't imagine your eye lying to your little toe. Lies create bondage. The truth will set you free, right? Truth is liberating. You cannot have a free society without truth. You cannot be a free person without truth. And truth is not just the words you say. Klein Snodgrass wrote, truth is integrity marked by the congruence of word and deed. It is not just what you say, but it is living out the life that you confess and that you claim. There are some outside the Christian community that see the way churches and Christians act And they wonder if it's all a lie or a sham. Oh, to be sure, this does not mean Christians pretend to be perfect. No, it means Christians strive to live a life of integrity. When we strive to have our walk match our talk, and when we fail, we admit it. We seek repentance, and we continue the pursuit of Jesus. We walk in the grace of God, and we dare not hold the grace of God 
and contempt. To hold grace and contempt is to say, you know, these sinful behaviors, these bad behaviors that are bad, you know, they're just how I am. Have you ever heard somebody say, you know, I, I'm sorry I cussed you out, it's just how I am. Have you ever heard that? I, I have. Or to hold God's grace in contempt is to say, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and tell this lie or I'm going to go ahead and be angry or I'm going to go ahead and do this or that or I'm going to go ahead and hold this grudge. God will forgive me anyway. That's holding grace in contempt. Another subtle, how about bitterness? Bitterness is a quiet contaminant to the spiritual body. It's like toxic, toxic waste. It lurks underneath the surface and does extraordinary relational damage. Conversely, forgiveness, kindness, and compassion makes a community stronger. And it builds unity even in a time of conflict. So you see, that one aspect of, one purpose of Christian ethics is relational. That they're to build up and to strengthen the body of Christ so that we can be stronger and stand together shoulder to shoulder on mission for Jesus in the world, which brings us to our second purpose, and that is they're meant to be reflective. So they're relational and they're reflective. I won't go into detail on this because we cover this concept often, but we are called to be image bearers of God in the world. And as the Holy Spirit works in us to shape us into the character of Jesus, we reflect His image. And we reflect His goodness in the world around us. Imitating Jesus in the way we live enables others to see Christ. I'm convinced that one of the most powerful forms of witness in our day is to live in community with one another in spite of our differences. To be forgiving, merciful, compassionate, patient, and kind. Bottom line, the world needs to see relationships that work. And we all need Christ to make them work. You know, I read a, an article once about what it, what it means to reach those who are millennials and younger. And uh, one scholar wrote that one of, the, one of the most powerful ways to bear witness to Christ and the power of Christ is for millennials and those younger to see relationships that really work. Because so many have seen relationships in their own families not work. It's a powerful witness. So we have a pattern to follow. We have the purpose of Christian ethics of living in covenant relationship with God and with one another and also reflecting the glory and the image of God in the world. So how do we do this? The power to live Christianly. Our ability to act like Jesus is a partnership between our will and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a partnership. Let me read verse 30 again. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Let me take the back end of that verse first. Paul tells us that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So if you want to authenticate a household product, for example, you might apply for the good housekeeping seal of approval. Have you ever heard that phrase? Oh, wow, that's a, a good blender. It has the good housekeeping seal of approval. Products go through rigorous testing, and if they pass, they get this seal which is supposed to, or uh, used to at least, uh, uh, give this sense of uh, authenticity and also quality. Seals are also used to mark ownership. 
Governments have official seals on legal documents like titles and deeds. So when you become a Christian, God gives you the Holy Spirit for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is as a seal of your relationship with Him. The Holy Spirit authenticates. In other words, when you see the Spirit at work in somebody's life, you say, okay, that person has the salvation of Jesus on their soul. That person is a child of the living God, a follower of Jesus. And I don't mean child of the living God as in every, every living thing is a child, but I mean this person is in covenant relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit authenticates and preserves your salvation. It preserves it. Not just authenticates, but it preserves it. You can never lose your salvation and it can never spoil or fade. The presence of the Holy Spirit, put in another way, means that you are signed, sealed, and delivered into the family of God. And the Spirit works in your life to make you more like Jesus. So when we take a look at that, the back end of that verse, and then we move to the first part of the verse, Paul tells us that as Christians, we can grieve this Holy Spirit that is within us, that is signed, sealed, and delivered us, and is working in our lives to make us more and more like Jesus. Paul says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The term grieve in the Greek means to make sorrowful. We kind of get that. Or to offend. When a child is going down the wrong path, a parent is grieved and sorrowful. Why? Out of love. They want the very best for their children. But parents also know at some point, at some certain point, the parent also cannot impose their will on the child. The child has a will and will do what the child wills to do. This means our spiritual maturity is not a given. Let me say that again. Our spiritual maturity is not a given. Just because you walk through the waters of baptism, it doesn't mean that you come out on the other side a mature Christian that lives these behaviors in the world wonderfully. No. We have a strong will within us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to grow stronger as a Christian, but we have a strong will within us that can keep us from growing. And this strong will within us can actually bring harm to the body of Christ and can bring harm to the witness of Christ in the world. Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. But hear the good news. The fact that we can grieve the Holy Spirit means that we have God living in us, carrying us along the path of discipleship, who interacts with our behavior. And so, just as we can grieve the Holy Spirit with our disobedience, we can please and bring joy to the Spirit with our faithfulness and with our service and with our obedience. And we can call on the ministry of the Holy Spirit for strength and for power to be obedient. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Do you see the activity 
of the Spirit in your life in that passage. So when you're tempted, the Lord moves and rushes in and provides everything you need. The question is, will you submit your will to that power and that provision of power in that moment? Let me close with a picture. This is one of my favorite pictures from when my kids were little. Alex and I used to sit on the ground and play. And this picture that Jody took captured him imitating my actions. Now, I guess he's, I don't know, six, seven months old there. Now, fast forward, or maybe four months, I don't know. Fast forward 28 years. My wife and my daughter will tell you that when you call my son's cell phone and that you get his voicemail, almost every time they're startled because his voice almost sounds exactly to the tone and the accent exactly like mine. I'm sure many of you have had the same experience and have some of the same types of pictures. This kind of imitation, parent to child, is a lot different than those of the comic impersonators, isn't it? Theirs comes from the outside in. But the parent-child kind of imitation comes from the inside out of simply doing life together day after day after day. I invite you today to imitate the life of Jesus. Put your hand in His hand. Get to know His mannerisms and His voice over your life. Let your speech sound like His speech. Let your actions look like His actions. Let your thoughts be guided by His thoughts. When you do, God will be happy. Jesus will be exalted. The Holy Spirit will be joyful and not grieved. The church will be stronger and united. And the kingdom of God will increase as others see Jesus in you. And by the way, you'll absolutely love it. And you will be blessed. Amen. May God keep us and sustain us as we seek to imitate our Lord and Savior, Jesus. The Word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank You for giving us the pattern for living in our Lord and Savior Jesus. All we have to do is look to Him. We thank You for giving us the stories of the saints of old, whether it be Paul or Peter or John or the other disciples or Timothy or Saul or Barnabas. Lord, we lift them up to You And we just thank You for the examples that they have given us. And those who have followed post-biblical days like Francis and others. Like people we know in our own lives. The mentors who have shaped us in the faith. Our parents. Those Bible study teachers. The missionaries that have inspired us. The friends that have prayed with us and walked with us in hard times and in good times. Lord, You have just poured out models of the faith. So thank You. We stand in gratitude. We also, Lord, stand in a spirit of confession. And we confess to You that there are times, Lord, that 
we let negative emotions play out and multiply in bad behavior. Lord, we know that there are times we've grieved Your Holy Spirit. We know there are times or that we've allowed sin to fester. So hear our prayers of confession this morning. God, we want to be people who honor You and who please You. Lord, hear our prayers of for gratitude, our prayers for joy, our prayers for love and mercy and compassion. Hear our prayer for the grace we need to live the way that You want us to live. So we thank You, God, for the model and the power to live unto You. In Jesus' name, Amen.